Welcome to this Thursday evening meeting podcast from Kingdom Faith Yorkshire. This evening's message is by Paul Abel. Praise God. We're back. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed your Christmas break. It's good to have breaks. Seasons of celebration are very biblical. We've had a season of celebration, but uh, tonight, well, we'll continue the season of celebration. But let's, um, let's get straight back in there where we were before. I'm actually going to start with the word tonight because I kind of feel that, well, obviously you know that I feel God is speaking to this church from the book of Ephesians. So you know that on Sunday that was a continuation of very much what I feel God has got for us. But I, I love the opportunity to talk to you guys on a on a. Thursday evening, because as I often say, this is like the the prayer engine room. It's a furnace room of people gathering to be interceding before God. Sometimes we intercede with words, sometimes sighs, sometimes groans, sometimes music, sometimes worship. It doesn't matter how we intercede, but we intercede. We get before God to pray for the will that God has for this town, for this region, to explode in glory. And that's why we're closer to it than we ever were before. You see, we can all say that with absolute faith, because we must be, simply by virtue of time. (laughs) So we can really stand on that one. We are closer than we have ever been before. (laughs) Hallelujah. Which actually, I believe, is exceedingly close. Hallelujah. But what is God saying to us right now, right at this time, as this people gathering? One of the things that I think uh, God wants to talk to, uh, or just highlight tonight, is that Jesus encounter, which is essential moving forward. We, we, quite rightly, there are focuses within us on community, us together, absolutely, essential. There are focuses on us being missional, but all these things come out of our understanding of who God is, and an encounter with him. Uh, and tonight I want to particularly look at the Jesus encounter. Although Jesus in this encounter, as you heard on Sunday, because that's where it's going, Jesus immediately takes the encounter that he has with his disciples in the upper room into being an encounter with the Trinity. Because he himself is there and he says to them, As my Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And he breathed on them and said, Receive my spirit. And it's very much, the Trinity, the Trinity has been like a dry doctrine for many people. It's something we know, it's something you believe, it's something that you know is there, and then you put it in a little box and you get on with your Christian walk with God. There was a, uh, one of the older theologians in our country, a Karl Rahner, who was, uh, or Rainer, not really sure, he was one of the first to really bring us back stop it though <laughs> it, no, it's difficult to stop that they're not just ignoring it at the back there look here comes an emergency lady from what I remember you have to switch it off at the wall and there's not much else you can do it's just a naughty light <laughs> where was I <laughs> Sorry? Oh, Carl, yes, Carl Rana. Um, he, he talked about the need for us to rediscover the Trinity. And one of the things he said, if we lost the concept of the Trinity in most of the churches today, nobody would notice. <laughs> uh, and it, it, it's not so much knowing, although it's definitely knowing about it, it's like... It's, it's the same as we would readily identify with Jesus. You can know about Jesus and you can know Jesus. And it's knowing about the Trinity, but also knowing the Trinity. But even you can know Jesus and it not make a lot of difference to your life. On one level. You know, again, you park him. But that therefore it must be the same with all of them. Of all of the persons of the Godhead. You can know about the Father, you can know about the Spirit, you can know about Jesus. But it's joining in with that communion, with that trinity, 
I mean, that's what Holy Communion does. It was a visual picture of us coming into Christ. Because by coming into Christ by the Spirit, we engage with the Father. And every time we take communion, we should have planned this. Every time we take, <laughs> every time we take communion, we're making that connection, not just with Jesus, but with the Trinity. But it's not a static thing. I, Claire's a good a friend of mine. Sometimes we get on really well, sometimes we don't, sometimes we argue, sometimes it's absolutely brilliant and we laugh a lot. But she's a good friend of mine. There's a dynamicness to our relationship. And that's why some time ago I, we talked about perichoresis, which is the Greek word for meaning moving around a lot, and another big word, interpenetration of relationships. It means in and out of each other's lives, which is often then portrayed as the divine dance. It's actually abusing the Greek because choresis, they say, oh, dance, choreography, but it's two different words that just look similar. But it's still a great picture. (laughs) It's still a great picture of what is going on in that energy of God. God is not, I mean, I doubt anybody here has got this picture, but you know that throne of the old man with the long, long white beard sitting on his throne and Jesus hanging out next to him looking a bit younger and... I don't know how you want to put the Holy Spirit in that picture, often just as a dove floating above them as is, is, is a common one in paintings. That's not the Trinity. It's a mass of energy and explosion and power and joy and laughter and love and emotion and will and forevermore. And that's what we step into. I mean, we step, into that, we step into that with baptism. And communion is that ongoing celebration of that's what it is. It's a, a picture of what it is. Even communion itself, maybe we've, maybe we've made that too static. You know? Maybe, maybe not. It was a meal when Jesus first started it. But it was a meal that came out of a life on the road. It, came out, it was a meal that came out of travelling from town to town. They were a community that went everywhere. The men and the women of G- with Jesus. So, let's just go to John chapter 20. We'll go back a bit from where we were on Sunday. Let's just have a little look at Mary Magdalene. Whenever you look at this passage, it feels a little bit like Easter. <laughs> Which is ridiculous, really, because... The, the resurrection of Jesus and the cross are major, major parts of the Gospels, and we often you know, only really look at them at Easter time if we're not careful. And you've got this wonderful picture. This is resurrection morning of Mary, the Magdalene, Mary from Magdala, who is, while it's still dark, she's at that tomb. She's, she, she's gone there to be there. She, there's something going on in her that says, this can't be the end. Oh, everything within her is screaming out, this is the end. This wonderful, wonderful man who she absolutely adores and has given up to follow. She's not, Mary Magdalene is, is, is not a prostitute. That kind of got added on later. Not that that's relevant but she, in many respects, she was, she did have seven demons cast out of her, mind you. That's there in the Gospels. But she's one of the women that supports Jesus in his ministry. She and, is it Joanna and another lady whose name I can't remember, are like Jesus' finance team. Susanna, that's the one, yeah. They're the three main wealthy women. There were others uh, in the group of women that followed Jesus, but there are three that's mentioned. Mary Magdalene is interesting because she's always first in the list. She was somewhat of a leader. And as I said on Sunday, she's acquired through history in many church traditions the title of Apostle to the Apostles. Because she was the first person who was sent to them to tell them about the risen Jesus. It wasn't Peter. It was Mary Magdalene. Anyway, she's there on the first day, early in the morning, and she discovers the tomb. She discovers that it's open, which of course it shouldn't have been. It should have been firmly shut with nobody had to open it. There were even supposed to have been guards on the place. And she immediately runs to the disciples. There's something in her that's already there that says, if something amazing has happened or if something terrible has happened, I need my friends, I need my brothers and sisters. I need my community. This, if this is happening, I'm not doing, it, doing this on my own. 
And you, you get this again and again and again in the Gospels, this togetherness. Uh, and it's because the, the Trinity themselves are not alone. And so she runs and she tells Peter and John. They run down there. John outran Peter because he was younger. They look at it. It doesn't say what they said, even though John himself is writing this. He does say, John says, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So he's quite blunt in that respect. He says what's going on in their heads. They've seen this, but they don't. And then they give a remarkable sign of leadership, the pair of them, because they leave Mary there, alone and vulnerable. She's got them in her distress. They've come and left her in, their dist- in her distress. They're distressed too. They're distraught. But they've left her there on her own. And as she's there, I think you see, there's something powerful that begins to appear that you then get with the apostles. Here she is. Mary stood outside the tomb. Do you know that she's mentioned 12 times in the Gospels, which is more than most of the apostles? <laughs> Just throw that one in there as well. I love these little sidelines. She bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, one at the foot. Now, it says she sees two angels, but she obviously doesn't register that's what they are, because if she had, I think her reaction would have been different. You don't just ask to... They say to her, woman, why are you crying? And remember, woman in Greek is an endearment. It's not a... If I... um, go up to Teresa and say, woman, get me a coffee. She's probably going to, you know, be a little bit disturbed that I'm treating her in that way. (laughs) On the other hand, she might just say, of course. (laughs) If I went up to my wife and said, woman, get me a coffee, (laughs) I may well get a coffee, but not for drinking. (laughs) But it doesn't mean that in, in, in the Greek. They've taken my Lord away, she says, and I don't know where they've put him. So she's she clearly not got who these two are, although she says that she's seen them. Why are you crying? They ask her. Well, actually, Jesus asked her that. Because she's looking at the angels and it says she turns round and sees Jesus standing there, standing there, but she doesn't realise it's him. Why are you crying? Why? Why are we often crying? Why might we cry? Because everything that seemed right, everything that was according to our faith, everything that we thought was in place, it was all going to plan. And it had been taken completely from her. This love... This love that had communicated to her how precious she was. This love that had probably given her meaning in her life for the first time. Yes, she was wealthy, but there was obviously something massively missing for her in her wealth to connect with Jesus at this time. And the fact that she's so prominent shows that she was foremost amongst those first followers of Jesus. And here she is crying at the tomb. In despair. And if you think about it, nothing had gone wrong. Everything she wanted, everything that she was trying to believe for, maybe everything that she'd heard Jesus taught, was going according to plan, exactly. If Jesus hadn't died because they'd somehow saved him, then the plan would not be going according to plan. But everything was according to the great plan. But for her, in that minute, in that moment of grief, mourning, distress, disappointment, disillusionment, it seemed like it was the end. And I think there's a powerful picture for every one of us there. So often something can deviate. 
but we don't see the plan. There's an element here of us as the people of God letting God be God again and not demanding that we know everything. And it's tough because it feels like the end or it at least feels like this is not right. This should not happen. And I'm not denying that there's ju- uh, 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 injustice and sickness and disease and all these things. I'm not denying that at all. But there is another level that we can step into above that that says this feels like the end. Jesus is dead. But even in that moment, this is the Messiah. He's the one that's going to leave Israel to victory. He's the one that's going to turn history around. And he's dead. But everything is going according to plan. Just that Mary and John and Peter don't know that. They do know that. On one level somewhere, because Jesus has told them. And the same is often true of us as well. Trust me in this. I'm going to go to a place you can't follow me right now, but I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. Yes, the temple will be knocked down and restored again in three days' time. He told them everything, just as he's told us. But in the middle of distress, it can feel like you know nothing. It's neither to condemn us for feeling like that or to tell us off for feeling like that or to encourage us, you know, get your life sorted out. They're in this position right now. What actually this is, is what happens, is what needs to happen with us in in each one of these situations. And we need to be those who are encouraging others to see this truth. Because Jesus asks her, he's standing there, just like he was in that upper room that we looked at on Sunday, except this is before. Woman, dear woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? What an odd question. He knows. But he knows that she's not looking for who he is. Because if she knew who he was and who he is, she wouldn't be crying. So when he says, who are you looking for? She is looking for a dead Jesus. And that's not who he is. Very often, we're wanting an answer to prayer. And in the lack of an answer yet, or the, just the sheer in, giant of an enemy that's standing before us, we forget that Jesus is not dead. That enemy is already defeated. If he can defeat death, he can overcome anything. And we're now in that. We are in that victory. It's not always going to work out according to our plan and what we see and what we think's best. Very often it doesn't. But even when Jesus was dead, It was all going to plan. But he's not dead. He's standing there. So when he asks, who are you looking for? He's asking her because she's not actually looking for who he is. And so often the church is not actually looking for Jesus and who he is. He's not our buddy. God the Father isn't Santa Claus. The Holy Spirit isn't a tickle stick that makes us go, (coughs) even though that can happen. That's not what he's around for. You might roll along on the floor, but that's not what he's here for. You fall over in prayer under the anointing of the Spirit, but that's not what the Holy Spirit is for. If he's moving, there will be signs that he's moving. Things will happen, but we don't need the things to happen to make the Holy Spirit work. We're not seeking the things, we're seeking him. We want to join that dance of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. An intimate relationship with all three of them. A spirit being our very breath. When we sing, it's your breath in our lungs. I always think of the Holy Spirit. Because breath is the Holy Spirit. Pneuma, the Greek word, is breath. The word in the, used for the Spirit in the Old Testament. Ruach, breath. 
When God breathes into Adam's mouth for the very first time, breath, the Spirit of God was in him. And he came to an, a new life. Hmm. Thinking he was the gardener. See, that's the problem. There's so much thinking of people that putting Jesus into little boxes. I mean, she didn't think Jesus was a gardener. She just thinks this person is a gardener. But sometimes the person we call Jesus is a shadow that's got all the power of a gardener. He's always more than we can ask. He's always more than we can dream of. He's always more than we can imagine. He's always so far above everything that's going on, and yet he's there with us in it, and it is going according to plan. But sometimes there's an empty tomb, and it doesn't look like it. (laughs) Then there's a moment, and this is the key, I think, to, for us this year, moving forward. It's always a key, but particularly, I think God's calling our attention to it. When I was speaking prophetically on Sunday of the presence of God here in this room, the Lord is here in this room, that wasn't metaphoric language. He was here. There was an encounter happening. It may have happened in different ways for different people. It's not, it's, it is experience, but it's not experience. There's an experience that happens, but transcendence takes you beyond experience into something spiritual. And sometimes your natural self takes quite a while to catch up with what your spirit's been doing. It will catch up, because that's what changes us. That's why we are progressing from glory to glory. So if you carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. The answer to that from Jesus was no. Her request is a natural one. But God, Jesus... He's redirecting her to a supernatural place. She says, go and get him. Just tell me where you've put him. I will get him. He doesn't tell her, but he does show her where the real Jesus is. But it's a beautiful way he shows her. He just says, Mary. And when he says her voice, It's almost like it comes, I don't know about you, but for me, it's like the name comes off the page in all that love and intimacy in every right way of what Jesus felt for her. And when she heard that name, she knew who it was because she'd heard him call her Mary in that same tender, love-filled voice so many times. She couldn't see him through her tears. She couldn't see him. She was blinded by grief. She wasn't really paying attention to what was going on. But suddenly, there was a word from Jesus that cut through all of it. And she comes into that intimate encounter with him through that spoken word. Just like Gabriel said to the other Mary, or one of the other Marys, the mother of Jesus, at the beginning of Jesus' time on earth, nothing is impossible through the spoken word of God, the Rima. Mary, it cuts through that grief, and there's something in her that clicks then, and she's worshipping him. You say, well, are you sure it says worship? Well, she turns to him and cries out in Aramaic, Rabboni! Which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me. That sounds like worship to me. It sounds like she's run up to him and thrown her arms around him. And he said, don't hold on to me. I don't know, did she get there and he said, don't hold on to me? Or is she holding on to him and he's saying, don't hold on to me? I don't know. We don't know. People like to speculate, but we don't really know. But he's saying, don't hold on to me. Don't 
And I think if we just use that for a little minute for us now, he's saying, he's saying to Mary, don't hold on to me. I'm not the gardener. I'm not what you thought I was. I am so much more. He's wanting her to move from the revelation that she had of him to a whole nother place. I mean, I think her relationship with Jesus was pretty awesome. But it's got to move from this level into a place where she can know him when he's not around physically. Don't hold on to me. Don't restrict me according to your lower level of faith. Don't pull me back. Let me go so that you can see the fullness of heaven. I'm going back to the Father, he says. I'm going to sit at the right-hand side of the Father. Don't keep Jesus as someone that dies in a tomb. It's time to let him just expand. And it happens in encounter. Because as Mary has encountered him, she's heard that love, she's heard that tenderness, she's heard that he's completely for her, all in the word Mary, But even as she's heard from him, even as she's encountering him, he's saying to her, but don't hold me in this place. We have so much more. Don't restrict me, church, to what you've already seen. Don't restrict me to everything that you've gone in before. This is a time to let me go. Because in letting him go, she was going to end up even more close to him, even closer, even more intimate with him. Isn't it beautiful? Do not attempt to restrict me through your lack of understanding. Let me be free to be me to you. Let Jesus be Jesus. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. She was the first. And she told them, that he had said these things to her. We're not going to go through the whole of the next bit, but just to remind ourselves from Sunday, you've got virtually the same thing repeated again. This time with with the group. Mary's come with the good news by the fact that they are locked in a house through fear of all the people outside, it suggests to me they don't believe her very much. She's just a hysterical woman. That's lovely, dear. You saw a picture of Jesus. Lots of people see the people that they, they knew after they've died. It's very comforting. You know, you could imagine it almost, can't you? So they've not really believed. They're still restricted in how they know Jesus, just as Mary was. So how does Jesus change them and how does Jesus take them on that journey to become a group of people that would actually change the world? It's never going to get worse for the church than the church was at this moment. This is the church. This is the beginning church. And they're locked in a room for fear of everything outside. However bad things get anywhere, it doesn't get worse than that. The whole plan of God and it's just... This group of people locked in a house through fear. So that's why we can turn the world upside down. God can take any group. He's a master at it. And he does exactly the same with the disciples as he did with Mary. He appears and stands amongst them and says, Peace be with you. We won't go back through what we talked about on Sunday with that. But on Sunday I focused on the spiritual meaning, which is very important. But let's just for a moment remember that it was also a greeting of friendship. Sometimes in looking at the spiritual, you can accidentally ignore the fact that he basically says, hi guys. Or in some cultures, what's happening? You know, it's it's basically on that level a greeting. Hi, friends. 
I'm back. <laughs> I mean, I don't, know, I don't know what it was like in that place. But he didn't come. I mean, this is the resurrected Jesus. He, we could go into the theology of what he was at this point or wasn't at this point, but I know one thing, he was dead and he's not anymore. And he was in a crucified, broken body, and now he's standing there. And the room was locked. But then on the other hand, with Mary, he was there and he, one minute, and he wasn't there, and then he was there. So what difference does it make that the doors are locked? I've, I've seen people write about, oh, in their distress, they hadn't noticed there was a window open, and he got in through that. Well, okay, if he came in through the window, where was he before the window? Because he'd been dead. <laughs> anyway, he's there. Peace be with you. That, and those words to them would have been like Mary. They would have heard the love. They would have heard the connection. They would have heard the relationship. They would have been reminded of the fact that they were together in this. They have another, just like when I say another, another like Mary's encounter with Jesus. This is the risen Jesus. And Jesus says to them, in the midst of all this fear, in the midst of all the unbelief, in the midst of the fact that the very doors and windows of the room that they're in are locked, he starts talking about sending them. They can't even get out of the room they're in, let alone sending them. And he says to them, Peace be with you. And all the meaning that that had. As the Father has sent me. In the same way as I have been sent from the communion of the Trinity. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. You see, sometimes people think that we've got to go on mission. We really must go on mission. We should do some missionary work. We are mission. The people of Jesus are a people of mission because Jesus is a person of mission. God the Father is the God of mission. The Holy Trinity is the Trinity of mission. It's who we are. It's our identity. Jesus' plan, if you remember, was that the love you have for one for another, that's how they will know you're my followers. People would see the love of the community. Why? Because this, here, right now, it's like an icon of the Trinity. you want to know what God's like in heaven? It's like this. The mirror feels well cracked and dirty at times, but it's like this. We reflect the Trinity. Now, praise God, they don't have the fallings out. <laughs> they don't have the bear with one another. They're very good at the love one another. But nevertheless, this is a picture to the world of who God is. Because God is not singular. God is plural. In the beginning, God, God the plural, created the heavens and the earth. So when he says, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Take the gospel message of forgiveness to the world. Because if you think about it, that's what the Trinity do. The constant message of forgiving you will be forgiven. Forgiveness is available to you. The whole message of the gospel, go with it, run with it. It is you. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So... All I've done in a way here is bring us back to a place where we probably began in our walk with God. There's no... We're not going to find some secret theology this year. There's not going to be a revival because we suddenly discover 
a secret about God that's never ever been revealed or shown before. Now we may discover understanding in the word and through the spirit of wisdom and revelation have a new and deeper understanding. That's a different matter altogether. But what God is saying is you need the encounter. Which is good for Thursday nights because it's called God Encounter. But we need that Jesus encounter. And I ask you to stand with me, really. I think that's a good way of putting it. That we would stand together to believe that for every gathering, not just Sunday mornings, not just Thursday nights, but everything we do, including when this building is just open, that we stand believing that Jesus is walking into the room. Because people need that Jesus encounter. Now it's absolutely sure a key moment for that Jesus will do that by pouring out his spirit at gathering times like this and Sunday morning. But the disciples were just locked in a house. And Mary was in the modern equivalent of a graveyard. And then Jesus was there. Mary. Or peace be to you. And their eyes were lifted from what they did know about Jesus to who he was truly revealing he was. Not a secret, except in the sense of the secret that Paul talks about. But that's revealed. to show them sometimes it seems like I'm dead and it's ended or at least gone very wrong but peace God is still in control there is purpose in everything and I will redeem everything the years that the locusts have eaten I will redeem We know that in all things, all things, God will work for the good of those who love him. It happens to be true. But you can only live in the truth of it by embracing it. So, the rest of the evening, we'll just give over to encountering Jesus. Is that all right? Let's ask the worship team to help us, but we'll just get into a flow if that's all right. Hallelujah. Let's all stand. Don't, we may spread out soon, but let's, let's be together initially, as if we were gathered together in that locked room. Although, praise God, the front door's open. Ah, we're gathering in the presence of God. And Jesus is here. And yeah, his presence is increasing. You're holy, you're holy. Hallelujah. Jesus. I feel a bit like Mary right now. Just It's almost like the questions I'm asking are irrelevant. I pray that you come and speak to us, calling us by name, speaking peace over us, filling us with your spirit, that we would see you, that we would be inspired by you, that we would be filled by you, that we would be exalted by you, that we would be encouraged by you, that we would be healed by you, that we would be equipped by you. But you would be the centre of our lives hallelujah walking here tonight Lord hallelujah if some doubt Lord may we be able to touch your wounds breathe your Holy Spirit upon us Father thank you that we are a sent people and that was your plan from the beginning hallelujah a people who have been made into 
a people, a community, a body. of you, if you've got any Mary, I don't know what to call them, Mary moments going on for you right now where it doesn't seem that things are happening according to what you would want or expect. Just know that Jesus is coming up to you right now. He's calling you by name. Peace be with you. And he's breathing his spirit upon you. It's not going wrong. It's not going to go wrong. God's plan is working out just right. He is in control. He is the Lord of Lords. He genuinely, absolutely is the King of all kings. Hallelujah. He's perhaps the only person on the planet who's not disturbed in some way by Brexit. He's fine about it. He knows what's going on. It's all in his hands. And we just can step into that destiny and purpose and calling. you to some of us to say something in a minute but just stay right there with God never lose the importance of a person or an individual taking those steps to come to know Jesus for the first time because they are an essential thing of what we believe and what it is to be a Christian and to be filled with the spirit and to know that you're a child of God There's something that God is doing amongst us. And as I was there on the floor, I believe I was listening to things that the Holy Spirit was highlighting. And he was telling me the difference between individuals and persons. In the Garden of Eden, before the fall, the Trinity of God knew Adam and Eve the Trinity's communion had never been disrupted and was perfect and when Adam and Eve were created they too were perfect and they joined with God in perfect communion with God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit and with each other it was said of Adam 
that it was not good for him to be alone. And therefore God put him into a sleep and Eve was created. And Eve was created to be with Adam. A helper. But not in a lower status sense because it was a helper together. And they were in perfect unity. And Adam became fully who he was supposed to be because of Eve. And Eve could only be who she was because of Adam. She was created to be with Adam. And when Adam didn't have Eve, he wasn't everything that he needed to be. And they were in perfect communion, the persons of Adam and Eve. But when they sinned, they tried to cover up their sin with leaves and they hid from God. And it led to them being having to leave the garden. But one of the things that happened in that fall was that they became individuals. The relationship amongst the persons was broken. You see, a person is only a person in terms of the relations they have with other persons. God's plan for humankind is persons. Because he is persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The divine persons are defined by their relationship one with another. You can't understand the Father if there's no Son. The Son cannot be a Son and if there is no Father. And as for the Holy Spirit, He is the breath of that relationship. And as Adam and Eve were out of the garden, there was a separation between them as well, symbolized in the clothing. And every child that they had was an individual child but when you get born again when you come into Christ you are restored to the person that God created you to be you see we talk about you often heard me talk about that we live in a world where there is a cult of individualism. Everybody's trying to achieve something for themselves. And there is an epidemic of loneliness actually around the world because people are cut off from one another because they are individuals. But when you're saved, you become the person that you were supposed to be. It's not that you... There's no sense of us all being drawn into some sort of divine identical goo it's the exact opposite the person is even more defined and more glorious and more beautiful than the individual but the trueness the fullness of that person is revealed in the relationships they have with the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and the relationships they have with everyone else who's been invited into that communion And when I got up just now and saw everyone here worshipping, many on their face, I could see the persons that know God, worshipping God, meeting with God themselves, but also together. And, and that sense of community. It's very easy to know I am who I am because of what Jesus has done for me and I know that by knowing Jesus I am changed I know that by living in relationship with the Father I'm a different person because I know his love and his acceptance and I know that being filled with the Holy Spirit makes me a different person I am a new person in Christ the individual me has died the new person has arisen but just as I'm defined by my relationships with the divine persons. If you want to know who Paul is, you need to look at the people he relates to because God's picture of the body of Christ is people in communion. So 
by knowing Roy, he defines some of who I am. I've only just getting to know Chris, but even in these beginnings, we change one another. And God puts all these rich personalities in our lives to enable us to become more who we are. Don't misunderstand me. It's not about us losing our identity. It's actually about us finding it in a more personal way than than you ever can if you don't know Jesus. It's persons in relation to the divine persons of God the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's why it says that you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The old, the individual you, the you that was cut off from others and certainly cut off from God has gone and you can come into the fullness of the person that God made you to be I'm just using words to describe what God has done don't get held up on what an individual is or what a person is I'm just using those words to try and help us understand the difference between someone who knows God and someone who doesn't because we are different and that is why these persons here are a picture of the Holy Trinity for others to see they can't see the Trinity yet but they can see a church short bit of time left if anybody wants to uh, just say something really that they've seen or that God has spoken or that's happened in the encounter I'd say just keep it short so that to make sure that those who might be more timid could also come and speak but uh, let's just leave this last 10 minutes with the microphone on here anybody that has got something maybe it was personal or maybe it was for all of us I'll leave it here please come stage singing and it didn't feel like I was standing on a stage and it felt like I wasn't singing as a person but I was singing as us and it's something that I just stepped into it wasn't something I was trying to do it's something that God's doing right now is he's making us us in our identity and uh, it was quite incredible for me so praise God
initially as, um, as I was lying on the floor, uh, the presence of uh, Jesus was really, well, it was just, just so real. And uh, as he came over, it, it, there was a fresh outpouring. His breath was just so gentle, but it was, it was like a fresh infilling of, um, of his breath over me. And then it was uh, as, I was um, as I looked up, it, as I came up, it was like I was, wasn't on the floor, but I was looking down on the whole of the church. And what Jesus was showing me was, uh, it was a dancing, it was like a flame, the Holy Spirit, the flame itself, but it was dancing from head to head on each person within the room. happened on Sunday really while we was in worship um, I just had a song whizzing and whizzing round in my head I don't even know what the song's called but it goes on about something about um, are the stars out tonight I don't know if it's cloudy or bright because I only have eyes for you and as I sang it I just felt as though Jesus was singing it back to me and I remembered the time when we were in our hall uh, at my mum's house and my dad's house and we had my, my bridal veil out and it went the length of the hall and me and my bridesmaids and my mum we knelt on the floor sticking um, sequins on getting my veil ready for walking down the aisle and I just feel like God's just saying just reminding me really how passionate he is about his bride and he wants his bride to be passionate about him he wants his bride to have eyes for nobody and nothing but him you know, sometimes I feel like we, we're like little magpies that we just get drawn here and there with whatever sparkles, whatever takes our, our mind, whatever takes our fancy, whatever takes our thought. And, you know, he's just reminding us really to take our thoughts captive and to just keep our eyes fixed and focused on him.
I've just said. I believe God said to me that just by being you, being the person that I've made you, you are my witness. And you don't need to strive to become someone. You are who I need you to be. And when you spend time with me, time in my presence, the definition of who I am is seen even more clearly, with greater definition and clarity. And then you reminded me that like a coal in a fire, it glows even more brighter when amongst others who are aflame. But when they're on their own, they start to grow dim. It was just a reminder of where we need to be and being with each other in community. More could have come and spoken, so next time do. The thought that what you have is not so important is a lie of the enemy. Because what is the truth is that all of us hear God. All of us are important in his plan and all of us are unique persons. Amen. And your person defines my person. So sometimes it's necessary in the format that we're using to share what your person has. So be more determined to do that. Um, Perhaps a practical reminder if you're not used to uh, or you've forgotten what we do. This is the microphone. (laughs) Guess we've all got that one. And... Uh, particularly Thursday nights, uh, the sign, we have a secret sign. <laughs> if the microphone is... Feel free to come and pick it up at any time. Uh, Thursday nights, it's generally the mature in God, so we don't have any checks or balances, just anybody can come and speak. And to be honest, I'd rather people spoke, and it was perhaps the wrong moment than too frightened to speak at all Um, so let's make sure we pick that up again whether it's speaking or perhaps even singing or prophesying or praying whatever it is the thing with when you have something from God is to bring what you have from God and then stop it's it's often sometimes you want to explain it a bit more that's when you can wander on from what was truly of God but that's okay how do you learn unless you stand there and you think Oh, I've wandered off. That's fine. Just finish it. (laughs) That's it. It doesn't matter. We're not going to upset God. Um, So that's the sign. And and how the microphone works. Um, Basically, you can't control it at all. The person at the back does. Uh, Sometimes... Especially if they're lost in God, they might not notice you've started talking and you just start a little bit and then you wait for them to just slide it up and then it'll be, it'll be fine. But normally, they're, they're brilliant, the guys at the back. So they, they will see that. But there's nothing you can do to control it. Um, it's worth putting it down slowly. Or turn it right down so that it doesn't go kadunk. But uh, if you're one of those persons that, uh, I've got a word from God, I've got a word from God, I've got a word from God. It's worth just putting it down slowly and then they can mute it so that it doesn't go You know, when it goes on the lectern. These are just the practical things of sharing words with microphones, which works well in the context of this room. Um, so that's kind of our system. On Sundays, it's the same thing, really. Um, the only thing we say, and I'm telling you this so that you can encourage others, we usually say on a Sunday morning, 
just check with the somebody on the front row, can I bring this? And that's not a system to check you, really. It's more to have something in place that just is a check and balance against anybody that's just getting carried away that we don't know very well. And that, so they see that that's what people do. So it works. And that's what we do here. Um, if you're one of the leadership team, obviously you are already here, usually on the front row, and so you just step up and do it. That's absolutely fine too. I'm not limiting you. You're the people that people come to. <laughs> now, it's not unusual for even amongst the front row for us to check with one another. I, I, I've been known to turn to the person next to me, I've got this, what do you think? Because that's why God's put us together. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources by Kingdom Faith and for our other audio and video podcasts, please visit kingdomfaith.com forward slash Yorkshire.